Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, as always, Justin Jackson. And remember, you should follow the Twitter page, Instagram, and Facebook pages at JTime Sports. Along with, we are now on TikTok. So we're going to expand a little bit into TikTok by dropping highlights and stuff like that. So videos we post on our socials, we're now going to start posting to TikTok. So definitely give at JTime Sports a follow on TikTok. So, like I said, any highlights that you see on my Twitter or any highlights videos you see on my Instagram will now be on TikTok. So, definitely give that a follow as well. And as always, like, rate, and subscribe in Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL Week 3 and Week 4, including Thursday Night Football last night. We'll have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We'll be talking about the drama that the NBA always seems to provide. We'll talk about the WNBA playoffs and how they're just rolling right now. And we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome back into the show, or I should say welcome into the show. Um, as we are now going to jump right into NFL Week 4, then we're going to go back to Week 3, then back to Week 4, because we're going to start off talking about the interesting game last night between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was very interested in this game because I've watched two of three Bengals games before last night, and I've watched two or one of three of Jacksonville's games, um, so I really wanted to get a look at Trevor Lawrence, how he was developing, you know, I've seen highlights, I've seen clips, but it's it's different to watch um, to watch your every down, to watch it on a short week and, you know, see how they're progressing one month to the season. Um, and then the Bengals, I, you know, that's my dark horse pick. I picked those guys to go 10 and 7. I picked them to make the playoffs. I picked Pittsburgh to be the odd man out of the AFC North. I was called insane. We'll talk about them a little later. Um... And I saw that, you know, I wanted to get a look at Joe Burrow. It was the battle of number one picks. The last time these guys were on the field together, Joe Burrow was finishing off the greatest college football season ever uh, with the 2019 championship game for LSU versus Clemson. Uh, so I wanted to see how they would look in the pro short week. Uh, Joe coming back off an ACL, Trevor trying to carry whatever the hell you call the Jacksonville Jaguars organization. And so that was interesting to me last night. It started off the Trevor Lawrence show. Joe Burrow couldn't do anything. He didn't even have a point at halftime. And Trevor Lawrence had put together two great drives out of, I think, the four they had in the first half. Two of them were great. Both were touchdowns. Uh, He threw a beautiful 50-yard bomb on the run. It was one of those throws that Mahomes would throw, and you would go completion because you're so used to it being completed. Josh Allen will throw it, and you think he has the arm strength to get it down there. Rodgers would throw it, and you're like, okay, he has a reason to throw it. You know, those three guys have the talent and have done it enough where you kind of trust they're going to throw that pass. You don't want your quarterback to ever throw a 50-yard bomb running, running, period. But you definitely don't want him throwing it, basically back-footing it, you know, flicking his wrist kind of across his body, everything you would want wrong. There's only about three guys in the league you would kind of be okay with it. Mahomes, Rodgers, and um, Josh Allen. And now Kyler Murray's perfected his fadeaway move. Basically, he's fading away and dropping dimes everywhere. Russell Wilson as well. So maybe five in the entire league. Really, the first three I named, Rodgers, Mahomes, and Allen, because they've done it so much. Um, 
make it six. Trevor Lawrence. And I think he's better at than Patrick Mahomes. Hear me out. Patrick Mahomes does it, and a lot of times the ball dies. We look at when he did it in the Super Bowl, they won versus San Francisco. That ball, it may turn into a punt. Tyreek Hill stopped and waited on the ball to fall. Um, when he did it, Tyreek Hill again this year, the ball stopped. If the defensive back would have turned his head and wasn't so scared of Tyreek Hill's speed, he would have picked it very, very easily. The ball stopped. The ball died. Trevor Lawrence threw a 50-yard pass running to his right fairly effortlessly from all appearances' sake, and he actually almost overthrew the receiver. Uh, the receiver was thinking it was going to stop. He had to turn around fast and get on his horse to go catch it. I was incredibly impressed with Trevor Lawrence in the first half. I was more impressed with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor, the head coach of the of the Cincinnati Bengals, not the Cleveland Browns, because I'm going to say the Browns, of the Cincinnati Bengals in the second half. We know, I've lamented that Jacksonville staff before. It's hired very, very strange. But what it is, it's full of veteran coaches. Now, it's fired veteran coaches. It's uh, Schottenheimer, Marty, uh, Marty Schottenheimer. It's uh, Urban Meyer. He's never been a head coach, obviously. And, and their quarterback coach has been around as well. But those guys don't run Urban Meyer spread system. So now you're starting to see traditional pro-style offense concepts out of shotgun. So they're doing read options now. They're putting that in. They're running bubble screens out of shotgun, which is something they didn't run uh, previously. Not a whole lot. Um, you see that they're really trying to mirror or merge the, uh, well, I got some news. So Richard Sherman is going to be active for the game against the New England Patriots. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, new Tampa Bay Buccaneers corner, Richard Sherman, will be active for the game against the uh, New England Patriots, which was something that was strongly in doubt depending on his game shape but i guess tampa bay realized he can go at least somewhat so they're going to bring him on to play against um the new england patriots so help is on the way for that new england patriots secondary or tampa bay buccaneers secondary rather and so that was the big news uh just came down from bruce arians obviously post all over our social medias uh that richard sherman will be active sunday so huge news for that game. Uh, that was something people were wondering if that was going to happen, but apparently it will be. So we'll get to see Richard Sherman back in the NFL uh, in 40 hours, give or take. Uh, I can't do math. Sunday night. That's just Sunday night. Um, but back to the game last night, Bengals and Jags. It, I was I was impressed with Trevor Lawrence early. I was impressed with how they came out and schemed the game. Uh, they scored a touchdown, a couple of touchdowns rather, on non-scripted plays. That is a good sign. Uh, they still struggle on their script, which is a bad sign, but they're adjusting well. And they're able to score outside of the first 15 plays, which is always a good thing in the NFL because once you're off that script, it's about coaching, game planning, and field. So the fact that they're scoring now more off the script than they were previously they're getting closer to winning um but i wanted to see what cincinnati is going to do because cincinnati has playoff aspirations especially beating pittsburgh in pittsburgh for the first time in six years uh beating them for the worst time we'll talk about that game oh no we won't talk about that game uh beating them for the worst time in pittsburgh uh worse in pittsburgh since like 1993 or something like that um, I was wondering how they would come out after that game. That was that was the game I was worried about. Uh, Cincinnati was like a seven-point favorite. I wouldn't have touched it with a 10-foot pole, and that's pretty much why. Um, because they're seven points better than Jacksonville, 10 points better than Jacksonville. But 
coming off that kind of emotional game, short week, um, at home, crowds roaring. Now they're starting to believe what I believe, which is that you have two playoff aspirations. Um, and so how would they come out? The answer was flat. Second half, they win the locker room, got their ish together, scored 24 points in the second half, and went on a walk-off uh, field goal. They were the better team. They should have won. They had the better quarterback. Joe Burrow, at this point in his career, is better than Trevor Lawrence. Um, they had the better head coach, NFL-wise. Zach Taylor, at this point in their coaching career, is the better NFL coach than Urban Meyer. Um, the better team at this point is Jackson is Cincinnati rather than Jacksonville. So the, and they were at home. So the better team won. If they played 10 times, it would probably be 7-3 Bengals. Um, but they were a really good team in the second half. Joe Burrow and that tight end, I can't think of his name. I apologize. Um, he played really well in the second half as well. Uh, they did a excellent job scheming. Joe Burrow made some great plays on the move. Trevor Lawrence fought back. And that is part of the future of the AFC. Add another name to the future of the AFC, and that's Trevor Lawrence. So you've got Patrick Mahomes. You've got Josh Allen. You've got... Um, Justin Herbert, you've got Joe Burrow, you've got Baker Mayfield, you've got Lamar Jackson. Add in um, Trevor Lawrence to that mix as part of the future of the AFC. Uh, some names I left off noticeably is Mac Jones. I'm not sure he'll be around all that long. Uh, I don't know what the history of Deshaun Watson is going to be, obviously. Um, but, you know, those, those six or seven guys are going to carry the AFC into the future. Um, so we're definitely, I'm excited to see those guys for the next 10 to 15 years. Great show last night. The Thursday night football games have been delivering close contests. Uh, Sands last week, uh, Carolina put a, uh, put it down on Houston, even though that game was closer than it should have been. Um, score wise, Carolina was the better football team. So, um, definitely looking forward to next Thursday and looking forward to next week, but we're going to do a little flashback. We're going to do a little jump back. Chargers and Chiefs, very interesting game week three. Uh, my most anticipated game of week three. I definitely wanted to see that. Yes, even more anticipated than the Packers and the Niners because I definitely wanted to see what Kansas City would look like against Chargers. Same thing with the Chargers. You Chargers thinking we should be undefeated right now. We shouldn't have lost to Dallas. Kansas City is thinking we should be undefeated right now. We shouldn't have lost to Baltimore. It's a division game. Uh, the Chargers have historically, especially under Justin Herbert, played Kansas City close. So I was wondering to see how this game would play with two teams that believe they should be undefeated right now. And the Chargers and the Chiefs went at it. Um, Patrick Mahomes had a fatal um, no-look interception. Some of those plays he normally pulls off now are starting to turn into turnovers. So I wonder if Andy Reid starts to enforce or to preach not so much the spectacular play, start eating plays. Because against Baltimore, he threw a critical interception, trying to throw out of a sack. Um, and then he threw a no-look when he didn't have to. Now, the no-look was on target. I'm not even blaming Patrick. The no-look was on target. But the receiver also probably got no-looked. He probably didn't have his hands ready. Uh, thinking Patrick wasn't even looking at him. Pat throws a no-look. And it's on target, bounces off the receiver's hands into an interception. So maybe some of those plays he's used to hitting um, no longer are that effective or are no longer worth the risk. Because um, like I said earlier about that bomb he threw against Cleveland, if the DB wasn't so scared of Tyreek's speed and turns his head, he catches it like a punt. I mean, he practically hits him in the back. So um, that is something that they're going to have to work on in Kansas City. But what I am noticing about the league is that they're treating Kansas City like the juggernaut that they are, which means Baltimore fourth and one on the wrong side of the 50 said, we're not giving Patrick Mahomes the ball back. We have to go for it. 
Because if you punt it to him, he's going to go down and score anyway. Damn the Torpedoes. We're going to go for it. They get it. The Chargers, fourth and four, get a penalty, go to fourth and nine, and still go for it because damn the Torpedoes. We can't we can't get the ball back to Patrick Mahomes in that situation. They get it ultimately, go down to kick, score a touchdown, and then the kicker misses an extra point. So you kind of, the coach had a double. Yes, I trust Justin Herbert, and no, I don't trust my kicker. So it's very intriguing to watch how the league is reacting to Kansas City, um, not wanting to give Patrick Mahomes the ball in any situation to win it. Um, now, this could be something you look at Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about a little later. But the, no one's trying to give Patrick Mahomes the ball back. But the Chiefs have a problem. They're bottom five in almost everything defensively. And you can be an okay defense and win a Super Bowl. They did it. Uh, when Patrick Mahomes won his first one on his Super Bowl, although that defense was like top six or seven the last half of the year, their rankings was in the middle of the pack. You can be okay at defense and win in the NFL. We've seen it. You can't be bad at defense. Their pass defense isn't terrible. Their rush defense is horrible. They give up a lot of points. They give up a lot of yards. Uh, they give up a lot of explosives, especially on the ground. The Chiefs better get their act together and get their act together quickly because they're currently holding last place in their division, two games behind Oakland, uh, one and a half games basically behind the Chargers, um, and two games behind Denver. So they need to get their act together quickly or that money that they spend this offseason upgrading that offensive line and stuff like that to help Patrick may be off or not if they can't fix that defense led by Steve Spagnola. So that is something that we're going to keep our eye on. Definitely there. And uh, keep our eye on the Kansas City Chiefs. Up next, we're going to shift to the Patriots and the Saints. Um, this game was personal for me. Obviously, I'm a Patriots fan, but I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So, of course, this game was going to be one of the bigger talking points of my week in terms of just fan interactions because I, I deal with a lot of Saints fans daily. So I got it pretty good after this game. But... Um, Interesting, interesting situation. So, Mac Jones had his first rookie game. Up until this point, he's just been an average game manager, not making the play, but at the same time, not losing the play. Just kind of playing inside the offense. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. Um, sort of thing. Even if it's kind of there, it's not. Um, no bombs unless it's open. You know, that sort of thing. And this is the first game he had his rookie game. Uh, his first interception, he got hit, and the ball is picked. Then his second interception that came to pick six, he throws it just a little bit out in front of Jonu Smith. Very, very catchable ball. Um, tipped off Jonu's hands right into Malcolm Jenkins, who's running full head of steam. Touchdown. His third interception came in garbage time. He had his, like I said, he had his first welcome to the NFL game. Um, he's got two passing touchdowns, three interceptions on the season. He is just not, I wasn't on the Mac train before the draft. Then he gets drafted to my team. I'm still not on the Mac train. Then those first couple of games, I almost I talk myself basically onto the Mac train with one foot. I'm back off. It's not gonna work. Um, the NFL is moving away from him. He's in a situation in New England where for 20 years Bill Belichick knew exactly what to put around Tom Brady, get him a great defense, put these sort of weapons around him, and he'll produce. It, they they tried it with Cam last year. It was working okay until COVID hit. Now you get rid of Cam, who's a much more better playmaker, a much better playmaker rather for Mac Jones. And now it's working even less. 
um, with better talent. Cam Newton didn't have a Jonathan Smith. Cam Newton didn't have a Hunter Henry. Cam Newton didn't have a Kendrick Bourne. He didn't have a Nelson Aguilar. Um, he didn't have a Ramondre Stevenson. He didn't have a Matthew Judon and the rest of that crew that was brought in on defense. He didn't have those guys. Those guys opted out, weren't on the team, or, you know, yeah, opted out and weren't on the team. So, Max is in a better situation than Cam was, and to my naked eye, he's playing worse. I don't know what the I don't know what the film says. I don't know what Belichick's saying in meetings, but to my naked eye, he's playing worse. But that is something that I would keep an eye on. Uh, as for New Orleans, good job on defense, really clamping down because you know Mac Jones is not going to beat you deep. Um, so they really clamped down, walked down on the Patriots offense. Really made throwing lanes tight. Really made rush lanes tight, uh, and kept Jameis Winston from making a fatal mistake. Uh, so the Patriots will look out of sync. They're not being system. I mean, they're being systematically picked apart. They had 10 plays on the game winning t- game ceiling, rather Taysom Hill touchdown run. Uh, they get uncharacteristic penalties, uncharacteristic personnel mistakes, uh, just being very uncharacteristic for lack of a better term in new England right now. And so that is something they have to get fixed, but kudos to the saints. Uh, like I said, I heard it from saints fans all week. So kudos to them. The big game, the two, well, one of the two big games, the last two games of the week, Rams and Bucks. Uh, what a game for the Rams! It showed that the Rams right now should be the favorite out of the NFC. They have the best total roster in football in terms of offense and defense because their roster rivals Cleveland's roster, but LA has trump cards. So, like, Cleveland has a pretty good defensive line. They have good linebackers, not so great secondary. Um, and then on the other side, they have a solid quarterback, great running running back room, a pretty good receiving room when healthy. The tight ends are solid, and the offense line is pretty good. For the Rams, you have a great quarterback in Matthew Stafford. Your running back your running back room is injured, so it's a very it's a very mad room. Your receiving core is great. Cooper Cup is putting up Jerry Rice-esque numbers. Your offensive line is pretty good. Your defensive line features the greatest defensive player of our generation, Aaron Donald. Um, it features Jalen Ramsey, the best cornerback in the league. Um, and so, top to bottom, that Rams team is better than anybody else in the NFL. Now you put it, like I said, a trigger man in there like Matt Stafford. You're going to get what you got a lot on Sunday. Um, they... Absolutely, they were better than the Bucks from start to finish. That Buccaneers defense appears to be overrated. Um, that Buccaneers defense appeared to be a one-hit wonder of sorts, making that run to the Super Bowl. Because they only really got hot that last month, and then they stayed hot into the playoffs. Uh, Taylor Heineke had some success. Uh, Drew Brees had some success until Jared Cook's fumble. Patrick Mahomes never got any success, um, I believe, because he was running for his life thanks to that offensive line being injured. But they come back this year. Dak Prescott has a pretty good game. Matt Ryan has a pretty good game besides his last two throws. You just see what Matt Stafford does them. So that Tampa Bay defense has an issue. Now, Tampa's offense was down Antonio Brown thanks to COVID. So maybe that completely changed how L.A. was going to defend them. But we don't know that. But for right now, the Rams are the number one team in the NFC. Um until further notice and maybe not maybe this week they may you know something may happen this week but the rams are the number one team in the nfc until further notice what a game from them uh, especially in sofi stadium getting the la crowd hype you know you had celebrities everywhere including lebron james magic johnson uh, a few boxing legends a few other multi-sport people it was a great scene to watch 
And then the cap off the week on Sunday night, we had the Packers and the 49ers. Now, the Packers and the 49ers game was interesting because it was sort of what I always say about the quarterback position. You can have the better team. You can have the better coach. You can have the better situation. If I have the right quarterback and I'm close in the other aspects, I'm going to win that game. The 49ers have a better roster than the Green Bay Packers. The 49ers have a better coach than the Green Bay Packers. The 49ers have a better system than the Green Bay Packers. I would venture to say their ownership and management team is better in San Francisco than the Green Bay Packers. But Green Bay is close in all those areas. And the gap between Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Garoppolo might as well be from here to Pluto. Maybe not Pluto. Saturn. Because Jimmy Garoppolo drove his team down the field and left 37 seconds left. Aaron Rodgers needing a field goal to win. 37 seconds left from the 25-yard line. No timeouts. Throw to Devontae Adams. Big completion. Throw to Devontae Adams. Big completion. Spike the ball. Four seconds remaining. Mason Crosby is knocking through a game-winning field goal as time expires. See, the difference in that game wasn't coaching. It wasn't talent. It wasn't management. It wasn't ownership. It wasn't even the home field of Candlestick Park. That was the gap. That game, those last 37 seconds specifically, illustrated the gap between Jimmy Garoppolo, fine quarterback, and the quarterback in your city, Aaron Rodgers. If you got the quarterback, you're never out of a game. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady. You're never out of a game. You've got the guy, not a good guy. That is why the San Francisco 49ers are trying to move to Trey Lance. Trey Lance has a chance to be the guy. Jimmy G is a, is a good guy. Sure, he's got the supermodel looks and he's been seen out with adult film stars and he lives the life. He's got the chiseled chin, etc., etc., etc. But his body's broken down or breaks down regularly and he's not that special. Rodgers showed that against him Sunday night. Would you rather have Aaron Rodgers? Or the guy watching Aaron Rodgers lead his team to a victory in his own building? Jimmy Garoppolo was booed by his own fans. Look, San Fran, I get it. I get it. Jimmy G's a solid player. It's hard to replace a solid quarterback when he's not messing up. But you're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. You and I both know that. So why not play Trey Lance? Why not have him take these hits on the chin? Why not have him say, man, I've started 14, 13 games and barely had 2,000 yards. You know, 18, 20 total touchdowns, 13 total turnovers, you know, interceptions and fumbles. And just let the kid play. Because Aaron Rodgers seems to have locked back in in Green Bay. He went into candlestick and beat you. Something he could not have done a couple years ago when y'all were running his team literally off the field. Aaron Rodgers seems to have locked in. He seems to be invested. He seems to want to win one more time in Green Bay before he ultimately decides to hang up his jersey, his Green Bay jersey, whether that is for a different city or for a different career. You've got to figure something out, San Francisco. Watching Trey Lance come in the game, electrify the crowd, and leave isn't helping you. I say 
you decide to tell Jimmy Garoppolo thanks but no thanks for your service. We'll trade you to pick a city and we're going to go forward with Trey Lance. That's what I would do. I'd do it on Monday. We'll see what San Fran's going to do. All right, so now we're going to get into a little quick hits uh, for NFL Week 3. Just, I mean, real quick on these next topics before we transition after break to Week 4. But we're going to talk about the Steelers for a quick second. You took it on the chin to Cincinnati, 24-10. to 10. The best quarterback on the field was clearly Joe Burrow. Ben Roethlisberger is done. It's over. Your Super Bowl window is closed. I said that in the offseason. It was over as long as Ben was your quarterback. And now you got reports of people inside the organization wondering if their season's already over. He's already nicked. He's already complaining. He's already showing signs of age. At least carrying over those signs of age from the end of last season. This thing is over, Pittsburgh. It's over. Call up Cam Newton if you want to save this season. If not, have Dwayne Haskins learn everything he can from Big Ben. But Ben Roethlisberger better not be back in another Steelers uniform. He already cost you last season. He's going to cost you this season. Do not flush another season down the drain with Ben Roethlisberger. Move on. Cowboys got a big win over the Eagles. Yeah. Huge Monday night win over the Eagles. We're back. This is our year. Cowboy Nation. How about them Cowboys? America's team. Dak Prescott holds an 11-1 record over the NFC East featuring the Philadelphia Eagles. Cry, Eagles, cry. The The Washington football team. They don't even have a name. And the New York used to be football giants. 11-1 in his division. That has resulted in one playoff win. And nowhere near a Super Bowl, Dallas fans. This isn't your year. It's every other year. You beat an NSE's team on a standalone game. You get really excited, and then you get your heart broken at the end of the year. Every single year. I mean, at this point, you might as well have stock in Kleenex and tissue paper. I mean, because it is just wrong what they do to you guys every year. By you, I mean fans. By them, I mean the Cowboys. They do it to you every year. It's okay. I'll definitely be here when you guys are upset and angry, and I'll definitely share some of your funny ones on air. But um, you guys are spectacularly hilarious. I hope this continues. And um, man, I can't wait to get for you to get your heart broken. So we're definitely gonna see about that. Aaron Rodgers, fuck about that, appears to be happy. He was being on the after the game. We were talking about how can you not be romantic about football, which is a complete and total 180 from how he felt or appeared to have felt uh, prior to this season in regards to the team. But Aaron Rodgers appears to have done a complete 180. So we're going to see um, what that looks like this week if the Packers can continue their momentum. They always say winning cures all. They've won a couple of big games. So maybe Aaron Rodgers is turning a corner with the organization. We're going to keep an eye on that. In Baltimore Ravens injury news, Lamar Jackson had a back flare up the past couple of days, but he has returned to practice today. Um, 
he will start Sunday, as all indications have pointed to. He's going to play Sunday. Um, so uh, his offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, yesterday said that he had a little bit of a back flare up and they were going to wait and see. I guess Lamar has wait has waited and sought and so or waited and seen. And so now he is activated. Uh, he's at practice um, due to after his back pain, strain, uh, flare up. And he's on track to play Sunday. In non-injury Raven news, Justin Tucker is a 99 overall in Madden after his 66 indoor game-winning field goal against the Detroit Lions. Uh, heartbreak for the Lions. Justin Tucker's a demigod. Absolutely uh, spectacular. Uh, Carson Wentz is still scheduled to play this Sunday following his up-and-down performance against um, the Tennessee Titans. He is still scheduled to perform this Sunday. Um, with his due to his sprained ankles and that is all we have for week three wrap up and news coverage and after a quick break we're going to shift to nfl week four Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about NFL Week 4. Uh, and so we're going to jump right into the first game that is not necessarily the most interest, uh, most important game for our standings and most important game as far as who's going to win the Super Bowl. But I do believe it's one of the more interesting games this week. It is Detroit versus Chicago. We do not have Jack. We do have it in Jack's packs, so and we're not going to pick a winner. But right now, we're just going to talk about it. Detroit versus Chicago. So it's Detroit at Chicago. And it's interesting because last week, Justin Fields had his rookie debut. The rookies so far this year against veterans are 0 and 12. So that pretty much tells you how Justin Fields' rookie debut went poorly. Uh, he had. They have the offense had one net passing yards. They threw for 68 yards. Uh, Justin Fields was six for 20. Uh, 68 yards passing unfortunately they were sacked for 67 yards and so it had one net yard passing um miles garrett had four and a half sacks the cleveland Browns had nine sacks total absolute destruction of the bears weak offensive line which was which was a fear that many people had even putting justin fields out there this season was that he's going to have to contend with whatever the hell you call the Chicago Bears offensive line, which you knew was desperate when they went out and signed Jason Peters. Um, and so now you get a Detroit team on the other side. Now Detroit can say we came back like hair on fire against the 49ers. True. We came back like we started out great against the Green Bay Packers. True. We had the Baltimore Ravens. Justin Tucker made a 66-yard field goal off the crossbar to beat us. Or we have the Baltimore Ravens. True. The, the, the Lions should have at least one win. They, they should have beat the Ravens last week. You can say they had a real shot at the Packers for a half. So the Detroit Lions are a tough defensive team. And their offense is hate or miss, but they're a tough defensive team. Chicago has a great defense when it's motivated. 
and a hit or miss offense, mostly miss. Um, even though we're not sure who's starting a quarterback for Chicago, according to Matt Nagy early in the week, all three quarterbacks are still in play. And as of right now, that's still the case. Um, where all three quarterbacks are still in play. Nick Foles, uh, currently the third stringer. Justin Fields started last week due to injury to Andy Dalton, who's also injured. Uh, Justin Fields has a hand. Andy Dalton has a hamstring. And Nick Foles has a third string label. So because of which, that offensive line is incredibly poor. This game is going to be very interesting. I believe it's going to be very close. I, this game is interesting to me if Justin Fields starts, if it's Andy Dalton and Nick Foles, who cares? But if Justin Fields starts playing another tough defense, it, I'll be interested to see how he adjusts week to week. Uh, similar to Trevor Lawrence, he's not used to losing in high school or college. And so I'm, I'm interested to see how he bounces back after taking kind of a, of a beating. And then um, how he plays against a tough, scrappy Detroit team that plays really hard for Dan Campbell. I'm not sure if I believe in Dan Campbell as a head coach, um, but in Miami, his teams play hard. In Detroit, that team is playing hard. So they're devoid of talent at the moment. Um, Strategy-wise, they look okay. They're just devoid of enough talent around Jared Goff to make him successful. And they are devoid of defensive talent to really get that defense up and running. But that is a very interesting game. Only if Justin Fields plays. If he's not there, then the storyline kind of dies. Um, so I'm interested to keep my eye on that one, but now let's jump into some games that are interesting, regardless of what happens in the, in the next 48 hours or 72 hours, the Carolina Panthers at the Dallas Cowboys. Now this game is in our, um, Jack's pack as well. So we won't pick a winner. We're just going to talk about it. The Carolina Panthers are going to Dallas. Now Carolina has the best defense in the league right now, statistically. They're allowing like the second or third fewest points. They're top three in yards. They're top three in rushing yards. They're the number one in rushing yards. Top number one in pass. Either number one in pass, number one in rush. Top five in the other one. Top three in points. I mean, this defense is going insane. Okay. This is true. The quarterbacks they've played so far have been Zach Wilson, uh, Davis Mills, and... Their other victory, I can't think of the third quarterback they play right now, but they have played three very unimpressive offenses. Um, no offense is going to keep you up at night trying to start going to scare. Oh, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, their other quarterback. They played Jameis Winston, Davis Mills, and Zach Wilson. Jameis Winston, that was bad Jameis. Uh, bad Jameis came out. Now, you can say that the other two games Jameis has played has been good Jameis. So maybe Carolina's defense did force Jameis to be, quote-unquote, bad Jameis. But it definitely made an impact on him. But we're going to see our first test of Dallas's, uh, of Carolina's new fangled defense against Dallas's offense. There's one thing the Cowboys can do with score. Now, the Cowboys are doing it lately, winning games by rushing more than they throw it. Um, Dak Prescott is 27-0 in his career when the Cowboys rush, had more rush attempts than he does pass attempts. Um, I mean, look at it this year. They're 2-1. They outrushed. They ran the ball more in the two wins than they uh, than they threw, and then the loss they had, they dacked through it 58 times. The formula is there for Dallas: run the ball. Now you've got Zeke starting to heat up, so now you've got Zeke and Tony Pollard running well. Dak Prescott can be a complimentary 160 million dollar quarterback. Um, but your running backs making 90. So, in the grand scheme of life, you've got to figure out how to win if you're Dallas. Keep up the uh, distribution or keep up the ratio rather with having more rushes than throws. But then, like I said, they're going against a very talented, or so far, talented Carolina Panthers defense. Now, Panthers don't have C-Mac, so that'll relieve some of the pressure off Dallas. And Dallas is known to play make 
on defense. Trayvon Diggs has three interceptions already, including a pick six of Jalen Hurts last week. Uh, they've caught at least two more other interceptions. They're making sacks, even without Demarcus Lawrence. Micah Parsons is everywhere. Um, my pick for defense for defensive rookie of the year before the season is looking very strong in him. Um, and so it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, like I said, I, I won't pick it right now. We'll talk about a little bit more in Jack's pack. But this game is going to be incredibly interesting. Keep your eye on this one. This one's going to be fun. It's in the noon slot if you're Central Time, one one o'clock slot for Eastern. The Indianapolis Colts are going to Miami to play a Dolphins team. Another game we have in Jack's pack. So again, per usual, we're gonna pick the winner, which is gonna talk about it a little bit. And the Colts are at the Dolphins. Now, this game is interesting for multiple reasons. The Dolphins are trying to keep a shot at the playoffs while two was injured. Two was a starting quarterback in Miami. Uh, there's no reason to think otherwise unless they acquire someone else. But as of this time, they have not done so. And so um, Tua Tagovailoa is a starting quarterback in Miami. But Jacoby Brissett is very capable, as we have seen. So they're trying to hold the rope. They blew a game uh, against the Raiders, went up 14-0, then let a 25-0 run happen, then bring it all the way back, and then ultimately lose in overtime. So... Um, the Dolphins are reeling a little bit there. But look at Indianapolis, man. They've already agreed to be on hard knocks. The first ever in-season hard knocks. Starting in a few weeks. Uh, it's, a, it's supposed to be a nine-week show, I believe. So it's it's already week four. It starts in a few weeks. And they picked the Colts because they picked the team. They wanted a team that was going to be a fringe playoff team. They didn't want like a Tampa where you knew they were going to get in the playoffs. So there was no real drama to their season. Um, it was more of getting our life together for the playoffs. Uh, they didn't want to LA things like that. They picked and LA was just on hard knocks. The the real hard knocks last season with the Rams, um, and so they went to Indy because Indy is, is an interesting team. Lots of storylines. You've got Carson Wentz's arrival. You've got Phillip Rivers' exit. You have Jim Irsay, who's very interesting, their owner, and this is a team that is not a guaranteed playoff team. So you're going to see a team fight. Um, through the season, which is something that we've never gotten to see on Hard Knocks in an in close up, in up close, in depth. Every week, every Tuesday has been their pattern. Dropping the episode of Hard Knocks, and this was going to be in season. So, like I said, the first one ever like that. They picked the Colts, and the Colts are currently 0 3. The positive for the Colts is they're effectively one in a game, one and a half games back in their division, because. Um, Tennessee is two and one with a victory over them already, and then Jacksonville is zero and three or zero and four now. Houston's one and three, and their only win is over Jacksonville. Or one and two, and their only wins over Jacksonville. So Indianapolis is in a good spot, but they have to start pushing against the Boulder now. Um, this game is not in Jack's pack, so I will pick a winner. Um, this game, they need to start pushing against the Boulder now. Miami does not have the best defense. Uh, you can carve it up with good, efficient playmaking. We've seen that in every game that they've played so far. But even against New England, Mac Jones had his most successful complete game against the Miami defense. So they have the ability to be carved with good, accurate passing, good play calling. I believe in the play calling with Frank Wright. Starting to lose faith in Carson Wentz. Um, that offensive line is shaky uh, right now due to health. So maybe that could be an issue. And, of course, Miami is secondary with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones could be a problem as well. But if you're the Colts, if you want to make hard knock something interesting, if you want to make trading a first and a third for Carson Wentz worth it, you need to start pushing against the boulder now. 
And so they have to start winning games. I believe they're going to win this Sunday. They're going to have to win this Sunday. Otherwise, they go to 0-4, and no team in history has ever made the playoffs from 0-4. Even with, I mean, we have an added game, so what? No one's ever made it from 0-4. They're going to start having to push against the boulder now. It actually is in Jack's pack, so we're not going to pick a winner. Uh, if, I, if I already said the winner, then, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit more in Jack's pack. But I'm not going to expound further on this game and pick a winner. We'll talk about it a little bit more in Jack's pack. Now, we're going to shift to the NFC West, a.k.a. the best division in football, also known as the division I said may or may not get four teams in the playoffs this year. I chickened out, didn't put Arizona in, but I would have been 4-4. Four for four whatever um I, I predicted the last season and i was let down by arizona so i chickened out this year um didn't do it uh and so i'm regretting it already i put, I put minnesota in, i think in their place regretting that immediately but the nfc west has its first division weekend where the where all four teams are going to play each other the cardinals goes to the rams and the seahawks play the 49ers very interesting games because the seahawks right now are currently in sole possession of fourth uh, the Cardinals and the Rams are both undefeated, uh, 3-0. and The Seahawks are 1-2, and and the 49ers are 2-1. and So this is a weekend where the Cardinals, we, we pretty much know the Rams are real. Like I said earlier, the Rams are the best team in the conference, the best roster, top to bottom in the NFL. We know the Rams are real. The Cardinals kind of give us a little fool's gold. Uh, they beat down Tennessee, but since then, Tennessee hasn't lost. You know, But Tennessee's beating Seattle, who's in their division, and they're beating Indianapolis. They escape Minnesota, but Minnesota hasn't looked good. I mean, they've looked good, but they haven't really completed a game yet. And then last week, the Cardinals played um, Jacksonville. So how much did we learn from the Cardinals then? So it's a situation where Arizona's in a spot where they can really prove. They go out, beat the Rams, or it's a three-point game and the Rams escape. Um, it could be something where we could look at the Cardinals in a much higher light and they gain some more respect, even in a loss than they have from their three wins so far. As opposed to the Seahawks and 49ers, this is a game where we think the Seahawks are going to get their act together. Usually they fall towards the end of the year, but they blew a game against Tennessee, um, like I mentioned earlier, and then they turned around and lost last week as well. Um, so if the Seahawks are in dire straits of getting another win on their schedule and getting it in division would be huge, especially with a 49ers team that feels like they should have won uh, last week if it wasn't for Aaron Bleep and Rodgers. Um, so there is a very interesting week in the NFC West. It usually is whenever they play each other, whenever you start to get divisions crossed, uh, whenever you start to get divisions, sorry, fighting each other. It is a very interesting game every single time. Uh, even the blowouts are interesting. You know, like you learn something interesting about them. Even like, let's say the Rams beats Arizona by 20. Well, it turns out Arizona's a little bit of fool's gold um, in terms of they're not going to win their own division. Or what if Seattle turned around and beat San Francisco? Well, now Seattle would own wins over Indianapolis, not as impressive, and San Francisco, which would be impressive, especially after Seattle coming off a loss to Minnesota, um, who haven't really done anything besides beat Seattle. So um, that would be something that it doesn't keep our eye on there. And of course, the crescendo, the creme de la creme, the Sunday night ender, the game that has been anticipated for two years. Tom Brady returns to Foxborough to face the New England Patriots. Uh, about 18 months since he departed, 
um, from New England to go to Tampa in free agency. This week, this game has been circled on the schedules. This circled on the tentative schedule since it was signed because you did the math and the opponents already announced. So you looked, oh, they have to play New England. When he went signed in Tampa, they're not playing New England this year. They're playing New England next year. Um, and then the schedule comes out and you see it's week four. It's Sunday night football. It is beyond the roof anticipated. Uh, people are paying upwards of $10,000 a seat just to go. Um, all, I mean, good majority of the major pregame shows are going to do it from Foxborough. So, you know, sometimes you do it from the studio. No, people are traveling to Foxborough. This is one of those all-time historic events. This is going to be a where were you win uh, type moments. It's going to be huge. Tom Brady is expected to get a tribute video from the Patriots. He's also expected to break the passing yards record. So I wonder if he breaks it or when he breaks it from Drew Brees and becomes the um, sole first place. Um, and even better, he's going to hold it for a while. It's not like Brees lost it in a couple of years. He's going to hold it for a minute. Um Will the game be stopped? I know if I know if he was wearing a Patriots uniform instead of a Bucks uniform and did this in Gillette, the game will be stopped. The ball will be run up just like Drew Brees was. Um, they'd find the ball. They'd handle the kid gloves. I'm sure uh, the director or the lead of the Hall of Fame will be there. Same thing he was in New Orleans when Brees was supposed to break it with his white gloves on to take the ball, put it in a case and all that stuff. I'm sure they'll do the same thing. Or will they? Or will they just not even say anything whether it be one of those things where on tv it happens and then maybe the players celebrate a little bit i don't know uh breeze broke his in new orleans so of course they stopped the game and celebrated etc and it was on a touchdown a long touchdown so uh it was even more of a special moment but i'm, I'm what if brady breaks on like a two-yard screen pass or something you know like something unspectacular but because it was the record breaker it's going to be shown forever um this game has everything in it. Uh, now a book by Seth Wickersham's the excerpt uh, by Seth Wickersham. Sorry, the ex some excerpts have been, have come out. Uh, it does not paint Belichick in the best light. To me, it doesn't matter. Um, you can tell which side helped the book. It wasn't Belichick's side. It was a lot of craft, in my opinion, a lot of Brady, uh, but not Belichick. I mean, I, I don't think anybody his camp answered anything. Belichick looks like the worst person on planet Earth in this book. So there's no way that Belichick helped um, anywhere in regards to sourcing. But you've got quotes from, you know, Robert Kraft or saying, of course, attributed to Robert Kraft. He was at a conference um, with a whole bunch of minds and said, I got to leave all these beautiful minds. Something to this effect of and I got to go be with the biggest a-hole in my life, who's my head coach, uh, because the Patriots had a, a road game. <clears throat> um, you've got. Remember, I said a couple weeks ago. How it was weird that all of a sudden quotes started coming out. Like Tom Sr. starts talking, then Alex Guerrero starts talking, and Brady's playing the I didn't do anything card. You know, and they're just protecting me. I said it was weird then, it's still weird. Um there's that other quotes in the book reference how Belichick is like the tyrant, how he didn't even want to meet face to face when Brady was leaving. He spoke on the phone. Um you know, Belichick gets eviscerated in his book. So clearly Tom's side was doing the most of the talking and Robert Kraft's side maybe got out some feelings through the book. Um, but it was definitely an interesting situation with the book by Seth Wickersham. It's called It's Better to Be Feared, which is pretty much how Belichick ran the organization. Damn love. It's better to be feared, which is something we knew. Belichick 
I always kept an arm's length with everyone because in the event y'all parted ways, when y'all parted ways, he didn't want it to be what it is now with Brady, which is big, massive storyline, this big, massive thing because it's just business. Um, and so that is something that I'm, I, I'm very interested in the book by Seth Luka Sham. Uh, several people in the media have already bought it, pre-ordered it. Uh, so when it drops on the 15th, I believe, um, it's something I'm interested in as well. And it is the classic uh, player versus coach. It's the classic. I mean, the fan base is divided. You've got some fans saying, I hope Brady has a great game, but lose. You've got some fans saying, I hope Brady destroys us and stick it to Belichick. You've got other fans saying Belichick isn't the same without him. I mean, it is. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan. I'm rooting for the Patriots, obviously, but I want Brady to have a good game. I want him to break the record. Um, I want him to have a good game. I want him to leave healthy. I just want the Patriots to win the game. So Brady goes for 400 yards and four touchdowns, destroys Belichick's defense. But we run the ball. We throw timely passes and score 30 to their 28. I'm good. Um, picking a winner, I'm going to pick the Bucks. just being realistic. Um, I don't think it's going to be necessarily close. I want the Patriots to win. If the Bucks win, I do think it will be kind of close. I, I'm going to retract my statement. It's going to be a kind of close. Um, I would say if the if the Bucks win, I'm looking at 30-23. You know, last ultimate boom, last last two minute drive by Brady to win the game. The ultimate Chris Collinsworth party is a last second drive, and so Brady last second drive to win the game with a touchdown. Uh, or if the Pats win, I'm thinking much more low scoring, 2017, where it's ball control, it's defense, it's keep away, keep that offense off the field. He's practiced against Brady every day for 19 years. Brady is Brady. Um, so we're going to definitely see what happens there. Uh, I mean, I know I've given both scenarios. I'm going to go with Bucks 30-23 um, to win the game. But the bashing of Bill Belichick is unnecessary. But I, I it's expected with this week coming up because the media is on Brady's side. The fans are split. And so we don't have fan support pretty much uh, on either side. And then you let the media run with narrative, especially with a prominent media member and Seth Wickersham writing a book. And that pretty much bashes Belichick. A lot of it. Um, it is definitely something that is going to get them is going to get the fan base riled up It's going to get the world riled up we've been waiting on this game for 18 months like i said and we're finally going to get it sunday night but up next we're going to have our nfl betting segment jack's pack Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack, one of our more popular segments we do on the show, Um, so you guys are definitely into this along with me. Um, Last week, we went two and three. I wasn't happy. I didn't like, I didn't love the numbers last week. I told you guys that, and I kind of talked myself into it the more I spoke about the numbers. I didn't love the numbers last week. Um, I like them a little better this week. Not really any great numbers out there. Uh, but we're going to reorganize how we do Jack's Pack a little bit. So you guys know I pick five games, not necessarily based on a time, but pretty much just pick five games. I like the numbers, the five best numbers. You're going to reorganize a little bit. So now we're going to do them in rankings of best to worst of the five. So the first one, the first number I pick is the number that jumps out to me the fastest. That is my favorite number of the week. 
and then as we get more and more into it, it the numbers get less and less appealing to me but it is something that i am definitely intrigued by jack's pack this week uh, we're gonna get back on the winning page you know my goal is to be above 55 percent this year currently uh we are less than that we're at about 40 percent so not feeling too good about the start we have but hey it's a long week it's a, it's a long season we got 17 weeks we've only done three weeks we had a one and four week which kind of tanked us a little bit but now like i said two and three last week we're going to get back on the winning race we're going to start off this week we're going to get it rolling we're going to start off with number one my favorite number of the week the detroit lions plus three versus chicago bears we talked about that game earlier chicago has an offensive line problem they cannot fix chicago has no idea who their starting quarterback is the last i checked they haven't announced it and because of which i am going to go with the detroit lions here plus three um Plus three. They're on the road, which could be an issue. Uh, but getting three points, Jared Goff's the veteran quarterback. No rookie has beaten a uh, veteran quarterback this season. If Justin Fields is the starter, I don't think that's going to change. If Nick Foles is the starter, he can't survive that offensive line. Dan Campbell's going to come after whoever's playing quarterback. So I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions here, plus three, swallow the points. Number two, my second favorite number of the week is Colts versus the Dolphins. Dolphins minus one and a half. Go with the Colts. You get you get three points for home field advantage. Typically in Vegas, the Dolphins are only one and a half point favorites at home. That tells you that the better team is in Indianapolis per Vegas. I believe so as well. The better quarterback plays for Indianapolis. The better coach, I believe, plays in, is in Indianapolis as well. Uh, better roster is probably Miami right now. But I'm going to go with the Colts here. They're a desperate team. They're fighting. They're scrapping. They need this win to get back on the winning ways. And so to even keep their playoff hopes alive, in my opinion, because I say Tennessee wins this week. You're two and a half games back. It's just it's a massive uphill climb from there. And so I think the Colts win this week um, by more than two. So therefore, I would go with the Colts here over the Dolphins plus one and a half. And now we're going to shift to my third game of the week, my third favorite game of the week. It is the Cleveland Browns versus the Minnesota Vikings with Vikings plus two. Take the Browns. This game has a very, very, very good chance of end up being my lock of the week. So it may not be my favorite number, but it may be my lock. I don't see how Minnesota keeps this game particularly close. They're kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hiding this. Um... Minnesota looked oak. It looked pretty good against Cincinnati. Uh, should have probably should have won, lost. Should have won against the Cardinals, lost. They finally put a game together and they beat Seattle, which I'm not sure how real they are. But Cleveland's only loss this year has been to Kansas City in a game they they believe they probably should have won. If it wasn't for a drop punt, uh, drop punt snap rather, and an interception right after that, Cleveland believes that they should have won that game against Kansas City. I'm going to go with Cleveland here to win this game by a field goal or more, which, which, which would be the cover. I'm going to go with Cleveland here. I, I can see where Vegas went with Minnesota plus two, but I believe that the Cleveland Browns here are the much better team. They have a much better roster. Um, it's not a primetime game, so I don't worry about Baker. They're putting that thing together, so I'm going to go with Cleveland here. Game four is Steelers plus six and a half versus the Packers. Take the Packers. Usually I don't swallow six and a half points, but the Green Bay Packers here are rolling right now. They took down San Francisco, like I said, last week. Pittsburgh is done. Uh, Long's Big Ben's the quarterback there. He can't lead that offense. They can't run the ball. 
I'm going to go with Green Bay here to handle Pittsburgh by more than a touchdown. So Green Bay takes that game. And my least favorite of the five is the Cowboys versus the Panthers. Cowboys minus four. Take the Cowboys. Now, I'm saying this because I'm not sure how many points Carolina can keep up. Well, I, I this is the game that I don't know what Carolina I'm going to get. I know what Dallas is. I know Dallas at this point has reverted back to 2016, 2017 Dallas, which is run the ball, play action off that, use your weapons to score. I'm not sure if Carolina's defense is really the 0-1 Ravens or not. So in that case, I don't know what I'm going to get. Four points. If it was five, five and a half, I'd probably go Carolina here. But Dallas, four points. That's winning the game, you know, 27-23 goes even. So I think that's probably the score of the game is 27-23, 20-24, somewhere in there. Take Dallas in this game. Uh, the number is solid at four. So I would take the Cowboys. So to recap, I've got Lions plus three over Chicago. Colts plus one and a half over the Dolphins. Uh, Browns minus two over the Vikings. Packers minus six and a half over the Steelers. Cowboys minus four over the Panthers. Now, up next, we're going to shift to a drama-filled NBA. All righty, and welcome in. If it sounds like my energy has changed, it's because it needs to for the NBA, um, explosion time. Media day is usually kind of mundane, but thanks to the NBA, they can't never do anything mundane, it seems, these days. Uh, we're going to start off with the big story in the NBA. The Philadelphia 76ers have imploded. Um, well, as we know, we've been following the Ben Simmons story, and he still wants out. That hasn't changed. And now, I guess Joel Embiid is sick of it. So he has spoken several times in what can be only seen as shots to Ben Simmons. Uh, the first shot came at media day when he said he was disappointed in not being able to go to L.A. Or what he would have said, rather, if he would be able to go to L.A. to meet with Ben Simmons. He would have started off by saying he was disappointed um, in the situation. He started, he started saying he was disappointed in Ben in a little bit. Then he kind of fixed it to where it was the situation, and he expounded on that, saying how they should all be better, how they could all be working together to make the situation better, how they believe they can win a championship, etc., etc. Cool. Kind of fixed it. Uh, yesterday, bomb drops. Joel flat out states that, you know, he's focused on the guys that are there. He says, amongst other things, that Ben has had everything handed to him. So one of the things that came out that Ben was saying or that came out of Ben's camp was that he doesn't fit on the Sixers because the team is built for Embiid and Embiid gets in his way, basically. Like, the way Ben plays is not conducive to the way Embiid plays. Makes sense. We've said that for years. You know, we've all looked at how that team was built and said, kind of an odd fit, but they're very, very talented players. They can probably figure it out. They didn't figure it out. Um, Ben kind of wants a super highway to the basket. MB stands in the way of that super highway, so it, it get in the way of each other. And if if, B, if, M, if Ben's in the dunker spot and B's usually floating around the three point line, that's not good for Embiid. If Ben Simmons is trying to drive and Ben Simmons and Ben B's on the ah Ben Simmons is trying to drive and Embiid's on the block, 
that's not good for Ben Simmons. So it's not, it's not a good match. The only way you kind of make it work is a pick and roll, which apparently no basketball coach that has had them have tried to do. So it's not a good fit. We get that. Well, JoJo, they had enough of it. Joel Embiid said, actually, we have built this thing around him. We signed out Horford and got rid of Jimmy Butler, and he said, which I thought was a mistake, because he needed the ball in his hands. And in no uncertain, I mean, it's it's true. You sign an Al Horford who can shoot, and you get rid of Jimmy Butler who wants the ball, who needs the ball in his hands, because Ben Simmons needs the ball in his hands. AKA, because Ben can't do anything without the ball in his hands. Ben can't shoot. Ben can't space the floor. He can't do anything unless he has the ball in his hand. Well, Jimmy Butler is best with the ball in his hands, but we, but we lost a great defender and a great two-way player because Ben Simmons can't shoot a basketball in no uncertain amount of words. I mean, I tend to agree with Joel Embiid. Now, I think you should have kept Jimmy Butler, damn the torpedoes, keep Jimmy Butler, you know, keep Ben Simmons and forget Al Horford. It was a lot of things you could have done better. Maybe sign a couple more shooters along with Jimmy Butler. But Jimmy Butler wanted out because he didn't trust Embiid's body, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So you just threw a shot at Ben Simmons. You basically finished burning that bridge to the ground. You throw a shot at Al Horford because you said you signed Al Horford instead of Jimmy Butler. You throw a shot at the organization because you said you should have kept Jimmy Butler and you thought that was a mistake to let him go. Now you got all week of Doc Rivers' national press tour torpedoed. That's over. Now there's no way on God's green earth Ben Simmons is coming back, even though I didn't think he was coming back anyway. And you have permanently set a rift in the city of Philadelphia with Ben Simmons because now you're saying, no, they didn't build around me. They built around him. And he wants out. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Now you got to trade him. That, 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 that's the what's now. You have to trade him before the season starts or you're just going to let him sit there. Because if Ben Simmons is smart and he has Rich Paul, they'll have an injury. And now you can't find a player for sitting out if he's injured. So now he still gets the money and you're paying him to sit there and do nothing. So you got to trade him as soon as possible. Take the best package, move on with your life. But what it does is it calls into question the Philadelphia 76ers organization. Joel Embiid was drafted in 2014. He missed his first two full seasons due to back injuries, due to injuries. Ben Simmons gets drafted in 2016. Now he missed his first full season due to injury. Many people said he could have played in the last two months of the season, but the Sixers decided not worth it. Save him. We'll see him next season. The fit never made sense. You had a center and a non-shooting large guard. That doesn't make sense organizationally. You've never figured out how to put the two together coaching. This was doomed from the jump. You never figured out how to get the two of them together coaching-wise and how to make sense on the basketball court. You never figured out how to properly manage the two personalities. And you look at two guys who always used to being the one, suddenly where you were they were battling over control of the team. Organizationally, you never put the pieces around them properly. There was never enough shooting on this team. You never fully gave the keys to Ben Simmons. You always had a guard on another guard on the floor, another league guard on the floor with him. None of this made sense from the jump. Ben Simmons decided, screw it, I'm out. Here's the thing that I don't get. And somebody, please help me. I'm, I'm, I'm open for help here. I don't understand why the city of Philadelphia, the media, the fans, the talking heads, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, the Kendrick Perkins of the world, those guys 
are eviscerating Ben Simmons. I don't get it. I don't. I do not understand. This Ben Simmons was in every single trade discussion the 76ers had ever. It was always Ben Simmons was in it. The James Harden trade, Ben Simmons. The Dame Lillard trade, Ben Simmons. If Ben Simmons was in every single trade, Joel Embiid's name never came up. It was always Ben Simmons. It's Ben Simmons every single time. And then finally, Ben Simmons goes, get me out of here. And it is World War III. Why? This is like being in a relationship. And every single time you hear, or being in a marriage rather, you're, and you start hearing rumors. Man, I hear that John is looking at other girls. I hear that he's looking at other partners. I hear he's looking at other people. And then finally, Sally goes, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And everybody blames Sally. You see how dumb that sounds? Like, yeah, Sally may not have been the world's greatest cook, but it ain't like John treated her the best either. And so you see how dumb that sounds? See how that just is totally backwards? If you hear over and over and over again that every time they want to upgrade, they want to upgrade on you. And then you finally decide, you know what? I'm through with the whole thing. Get me out. And everybody blames you anyway. Yeah, if I'm Ben Simmons, screw all of y'all. I'm not going anywhere near it. This was doomed from the jump. You put two players together that didn't fit. Basically saying, we'll figure out how to coach together. You didn't. Now, the two times that your coach and player have been angry and frustrated, they've both blamed one person. Then, you know, Doc Rivers saying he doesn't know if he can win with a championship team. Out of context or not, that was a bad quote. And then Joel Embiid saying that when we didn't pass up, a, when we passed up a layup and got one point out of it, the game changed, ignoring the fact that he had nine turnovers. Then the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers can never truly build totally correctly because Joel Embiid has never played more than 61 games in a season, including missing 21 out of the shortened 72 games last season due to stomach problems or health problems. Now the health problems, yeah, your body's your body, you can't fix that. But you can fix eating Taco Bell and burgers on a training table pregame getting stretched out. There's blame to go around this entire situation, and the fact that blaming Ben Simmons is a crock of crap. But hey, what do I know? I'm just the guy putting pieces together. So, yeah, Sixers fans, Ben Simmons does one out. Yeah, media, the guy who's been mentioned in every major trade for an entire organization for the past two seasons, finally decides he doesn't want to hear about that anymore. Actually trade me. Call your bluff. Get me out of here. So, I'm not shocked that all this is happening. As a matter of fact, I applaud Ben Simmons. Get out of Philly. That is a mess. And they keep blaming you for the mess. Yeah, I want out too. You've tried to trade me for James Harden. you tried to trade me for Damian Lillard. You've tried to trade me for, it was another stock came up. They tried to trade Ben Simmons as well. I can't think of it right now, but another stock came up. Ben Simmons' name went right into the mix. They, the Sixers organization reportedly was trying to protect Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey. But Ben Simmons, take him. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I would want out as well. Why are you shocked by this, Philadelphia? This should have been obvious. But hey, you're a fan. It's not shocking. Fans, I don't mind. Media members, that's a little odd, but hey, fans, I don't mind. You pretty much did what media, what fans do. 
overreact to a situation that was not even even a reason to react to. Would we all love Ben Simmons start shooting those jumpers like he does in the summer? Another comment Embiid made over or during media day. Yeah, we all would like that. Are you now going to abandon a 24, 25 year old all star, probably the best permanent defender in the game? Yeah, you're probably going to have to now because your superstar and your coach burned the bridge to the ground, then scattered the ashes. It's over. Trade Ben Simmons. If I were you, I'd call this Portland Trailblazers and see if CJ McCollum is available. Trade Ben Simmons, and your big three is now Joel Embiid, Tobias Harrison, insert player here. It's over. Move on. At this point, you're just dragging out and lowering his value. Take the best package you got, move on with your life. Other media day news, Kyrie Irving is still not vaccinated. He's not going to be. And Andrew Wiggins is also not vaccinated. Normally, it is a private matter like both of them have continued to say, like Draymond has supported Andrew Wiggins today via the media, via his media days and stuff like that, uh, via his press conference at the practice rather. It is normally a private matter. I agree. Whether you get vaccinated or not, I've said it several times on the show, it's up to you and your family's decision. One problem. The city of San Francisco and the city of New York and Toronto have declared you are not allowed in a large sporting event indoor without being fully vaccinated regardless of any other situation. So that means Kyrie Irving playing for the Brooklyn Nets and Andrew Wiggins, playing for the San Francisco-based Golden State Warriors, would not be allowed to play in home games or road games against the Knicks, Nets, Raptors, or Warriors, respectively, depending on what play I'm referring to. So for, let's call it 45 out of 82 games this season, you will not be available for your team. And per Mike Bass of the NBA, the NBA spokesman Mike Bass, you will not be paid for those games. So your $35 million salary now becomes... 16 and a half, 17. Look, I get it. It's your personal decision. I understand. I get it. At the same time, there are local laws in place. Now, Brooklyn's up Bleeps Creek without a paddle because Kyrie Irving reportedly has told them if he has told people in his circle and it's gotten out that if Brooklyn tries to trade him, he'll just retire. If he's not in Brooklyn, he'll just leave the game. Okay. Well, that makes it interesting. So now you won't be available. You're not taking the vaccine. So you won't be available for half your season. And we can't even trade you to a city where you could play all your games because you'll just retire. Great. Golden State can move Andrew Wiggins tomorrow. He's not threatening to retire. And then it's, you look at a guy like Carl Anthony Towns in the same league as you that's lost several family members. And Carl Anthony Towns went through hell with COVID himself, losing 50 pounds at one point and being terrified to travel with the team for the first time. And for whatever reason, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize the guy's reasons, but you're looking at him in the face and saying, yeah, we get that. We see that. We're not going to take it. Okay. Michael Porter Jr. is also not taking it. He said he's gotten COVID twice and it wrecked his body. And he has heard, you know, he said that, he don't know what the vaccine is going to do to him. He know what COVID does to him. Basically, take my chances. Okay, so he's out against Golden State unpaid, against New York, the New York teams unpaid, and Toronto unpaid. 
He'll just take those four, five, six games off this year. Okay. Again, your personal decision, but there's ramifications, especially once Pfizer vaccine became approved. Your choice is your choice. I won't stand in the way of your choice, but as a private entity like the NBA is, I have a right to mandate certain things, which they still didn't mandate being vaccinated for all players because they have to come together with players agreement, but the coaches are vaccinated, the staff are vaccinated, the owners, I believe, are vaccinated, and the referees are vaccinated. Everybody else in this situation is vaccinated, but the players due to the strength of the player union, but the NBA has to comply with the local federal laws. They will not be local re- local laws, not local federal laws, local uh, regulations and local laws. They can't overrule the city of San Francisco. They can't overrule New York City and they can't overrule Toronto. It is what it is. Those guys are going to miss their games if they do not get vaccinated. Now, the current NBA vaccination rate is. Hold on, hold on. A little bit of NFL breaking news. Uh, the Tennessee Titans have ruled Julio Jones and A.J. Brown out against the Jets. Um, so that makes that game a little bit more interesting if you're into betting. Um, maybe jump on that game. If the Jets are getting a massive number, um, maybe jump on that because they will be. Uh, the Titans will be without their two top receivers, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. So maybe jump on that if you are a uh, better. But the current. NBA vaccination rate is about 95% according to Woj. Now, this number reflects people who have had at least one shot. Now, that is the requirement to get into the arena. So, if Kyrie Irving or Andrew Wiggins or uh, Michael Porter Jr. were to take one shot of, of the COVID vaccine, they meet the requirements. Now they're, now, they're not fully vaccinated, but they have some of the vaccine in their body, and so they will meet the requirements to play in all of their games. So, I wonder if that's going to be what these guys elect to do, or if they elect to do nothing, they'll just have to miss those games, obviously affecting Kyrie Irving and um, Andrew Wiggins being in, at home in those markets that have the vaccine mandate affect them a little more than a Michael Porter Jr. who would just miss five to eight games, but not many times they're on their schedule this season. Uh, the Lakers debuted their new trio, their new roster, their new old roster, um, even coming up with a new nickname. 360 degrees, which is Anthony Davis, number three, LeBron, number six, and Russell Westbrook, number zero. They're officially 360 degrees. Um, I think they could have done better than that nickname-wise, but they are all ready to roll. Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Reason, Wayne Ellington, Kendrick Nunn, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, um, Wayne Ellington, um, Taylor Horton Tucker, and the rest of that crew are all ready to roll. So that is going to be something to keep our eye on there, obviously with the Lakers. Um, and so, and then Kristaps Porzingis is allegedly becoming a full-time power forward, no more center. So that'll be interesting. He'll be protected at all times by a traditional five. Um, as of right now, now that could change sooner rather than later. But um, as of now, he is projected to play a majority at the four spot. And Zion Williamson has rebuffed multiple times. Uh, through media day and an interview um, his about the reports this summer about the New Orleans dysfunction. Um, he says that he loves New Orleans. He talked about his mom and his brother, how if you weren't with there with them in the apartment um, when they were struggling and no one was checking for him then, they shouldn't be doing it now. Um, and that he is committed to New Orleans. He loves it. He's, he's a low-key guy. He doesn't do much, so New Orleans is perfect for him. Um, he talks about he wants to make a playoff team and a contender in New Orleans. Music to my ears, a Pelicans fan. Um, 
where we're definitely going to keep an eye on that situation. I think this year is a big year. I do not think that he will flat out leave in free agency. I do think that if he were to leave after his rookie contract, it would be in a sign and trade situation. He would sign with New Orleans and then immediately get traded to wherever his destination is. That way, that would give New Orleans something back and Zion be able to still get his money. So that is a situation that um, would be what I would look for if he were to leave. At this time, I do not anticipate him leaving before signing his contract and playing at least one year on it. So maybe, you know, pulling a Ben Simmons, playing one more year on the deal. Okay, no, still don't like it, I'm out. Um, but as of now, he has been very, very profuse in his um, praise. Not praise, but in his um, comfortability in the city and how he's ready to just block out the noise and go to work. Um, and so, as like I said, as a Pelicans fan, I'm excited for the year this year. I expect us to be in the playoffs. Uh, Zion expects them to be in the playoffs as well. Brandon Ingram looks to take another step forward. And so they look rearing uh, to go. But up next, we're going to talk about the WNBA and their playoffs and what's going down there. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about the WNBA playoffs and what's happening there. These playoffs have been wild. We correctly predicted the semifinals games would be Chicago versus Connecticut and Vegas versus the Mercury. Um, and so the first four games total between the two series have delivered. Uh, Chicago and Connecticut have gone to war, including the first game being a double overtime classic thriller. Uh, seeing Courtney Vandersloot record the second ever WNBA triple double in the playoffs, including a WNBA record 18 assists. Um, she was all over the place 11 points, 10 rebounds, 18 assists, and a huge game one steal over the MVP, John Quill Jones, and the Connecticut Sun. And then in game one of the Vegas Mercury series, uh, that game was intense as well. Um, ultimately, it came down to uh, Kelsey Plum who is the sixth woman of the WNBA this year, uh, scoring uh, her career high off the bench in the playoffs and leading Vegas in game one. Flip it back to game two. Now Connecticut is very, very, has a good chance of going down uh, 0-2 at home. Ultimately, they heat up at the end um, and they overpower Chicago at the end of that game, uh, second half of that game, really, uh, led by Alyssa Thomas, uh, John Quill Jones, and the rest of that crew, Dewana Bonner, and the rest of that crew in Connecticut. And then in game two of Vegas and the Mercury, you get another historic game. You get Diana Taurasi going for 37 points, including eight threes. Um, she was raining them from everywhere. You saw it early. The White Mamba was in full effect, um, and she was all over the place. Um, Brittany Griner played well. Liz Cambage took in her legs back for Vegas. Asia Wilson did not have the greatest game. They slowed down Kelsey Plum. Um, so adjustments were made by Sandy Brondello, the head coach of the Mercury. Um, and so we'll see what Beer, how Beer Lambeer answers going to Phoenix, having lost the game at home. Um, so it's similar to how Connecticut is going to react uh, to James Wade's adjustments from Chicago and how they're going to go to Chicago 1-1. Not the worst spot to be in, but they were the number one seed. They possessed the MVP of the league in John Quill Jones. Uh, with her historic run, she's the first ever MVP in a professional sports league in America from the Bahamas. NBA or WNBA, obviously. ABA as well, I believe. Um, so, huge kudos to her. 
um, for that. But we're going to have to see how Connecticut adjusts in Chicago. Um, they'll be back home. Like I said, Chicago's back home. Um, you're going to get Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, Diamond DeShields, Stephanie Dolson, uh, Kalia Copper, Candace Parker back home. For Candace Parker, literally back home. Uh, where they were some still there, call her ace. And then you have uh, Vegas now splitting at home with Phoenix. Phoenix stealing game two. Going back to Phoenix with all the momentum. Diana Taurasi heating up. Brittany Griner playing well. Um, and Sandy Bondolo really coaching circles around uh, Bill Lambeer in game two. Although it's hard to do anything when Diana Taurasi is shooting the basketball like that. So I don't completely blame Vegas for that. When, when Diana's doing that, there's nothing you can do about it. So I'm very interested in game three in both of these series. I strongly believe the winner of game threes will win the series. The next time we talk, I'll be talking about the WNBA finals. So I'm very excited about that. Um, this is a, something that why I love the way that the WNBA do their playoffs structure. I mean, the format, how you get in, not the not how it's format. Again, the one, one, five, five. I think it's terrible. I think they need to have one game in the first round. I'm fine with that. The second round needs to be three, at least three, and then the five and five I'm, I'm cool with. Um, but I love it. It ended up being east-east and then west-west, but you truly know these are the four best teams um, because they made the playoffs and then played their way through interconference playoffs to making it you know, to this point. So, like I said, it ended up being east versus east and then west versus west, but you truly know these are the four best teams. It will be a traditional east versus west playoff. So... You know, that's okay, but you got the four best teams. You know, I remember not too long ago, the um, four best, you would get the conference finals be the NBA finals. You would get like uh, Minnesota versus Phoenix, you know, and then the winner of that was going to win the WNBA finals. And you knew that. Or you got LA versus Minnesota. Like you knew that the winner of that was going to win the championship. They were the better teams. They just happened to be in the same conference. Now you don't get that problem. Uh, the better teams will play and the two best teams will play in the WNBA finals. So that is always fun. Uh, my prediction will be Chicago and the Mercury will be going at it in the WNBA finals. Um, I just think Chicago still in that game and the Mercury still in those games were important. Um, caveat to both. If that game goes to game five, the favorites will win. Vegas and Connecticut will be in the finals. I don't think you're going to take two from them in their arena. Uh, taking the one was crucial. Um, Chicago has to feel like they blew an opportunity. Same thing with Vegas. Vegas and Mercury were close all game, but Diana Tosser was too much. Um, I feel like Chicago went up fast on Connecticut. It was like 11-0, and I, I feel like they believe they blew an opportunity there to really put a hurting on this series, 2-0 going back home. Uh, but ultimately, I believe it will be Chicago versus Phoenix. Both top seeds will get knocked off. Um and then I'll be talking about Chicago versus Phoenix in the WNBA Finals, which would be an amazing series. Um, think of the star power. Like I said, I listed uh, Chicago stars with Candace Parker, Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot, Diamond DeShields, Stephanie Dawson, Kalea Copper, um, the rest of that crew. And then on the other side, you've got uh, Brittany Grind, Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins-Smith, um, and the rest of that crew. So very interesting games. Uh, that would be my pick for the series would be the Chicago Sky and the Phoenix Mercury. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a discussion about the AL wildcard race.
welcome back into the show and now we're going to talk about our best for last which is going to be a discussion on the al wildcard race and the insanity that it is so it look it is looking like the new york yankees possessing a two-game lead with about four to six games remaining depending on your schedule will be the top al wildcard seed followed by the boston red sox right now now there was a scenario a few days ago where it could have been a five-way tie, although that would have been had to be all kind of crazy circumstances to get a five-way tie. It is looking very likely that the season will be extended to try and figure out who gets that second wild card spot. But it is an absolute war right now. Like I say, so far, so far the Yankees appear to have escaped the fray, and that they will ultimately end up the um, highest-ranking wild card. As currently, they are two games clear of Boston and Seattle. The Boston and Seattle are currently tied with the Toronto Blue Jays one game back behind them. So this thing is an absolute race right now. On the NL side, there is no race. It's decided. The Los Angeles Dodgers are the greatest wildcard team ever. Uh, they are 14 games clear of the St. Louis Cardinals, who are in turn uh, seven games clear of the Cincinnati Reds. So that is um how that nl shaking out so there's no there's no drama over there uh but it, like i said in the al it is wild because like i said the anchor two games clear they look like they have figured it out they look like they're in eight and two over their last 10 got hot at the right moments uh boston is faltering they're five and five over their last 10 seattle is nine and one over their last 10 and toronto is four and six over their last 10 that's how they're faltering into this position What's interesting about Seattle Mariners is they're actually minus, they actually have a negative run differential. They would be the only team in the playoffs with a negative run differential. They're a negative 48 on the season. Um, but they're, like I said, one, winners of four straight, nine and one, getting hot at the right time. And they are tied with the Boston Red Sox for the second AL wildcard spot. And then, like I said earlier, the Yankees seem to have escaped um, and they will get in. So incredibly, incredibly wild um, race so far in the um, AL wildcard. It is going to come down to the very end. Uh, I am so excited to keep my eye on that. Even more excited to get the MLB playoffs underway. Long season. They got through it. No real, real big, massive COVID situations. They made it through. Um the crowds will be electric. If it's anything like the college football atmosphere or the NFL atmosphere, it is going to be wild. So excited for the NBA atmosphere because of that. Um, and so crazy race that we will definitely keep you guys updated on as it shakes out. Uh, Jeff Passan has been my guy to keep me updated out of ESPN. So um, definitely follow him. Keep up with him because he's keeping up with he's keeping me up with the MLB wildcard race, especially in the AL. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, remember, we are now on TikTok at Dayton Sports. The handle is the same. We are now on TikTok. We're starting that up. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Dayton Sports. Uh, definitely keep your eye on that. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And this is your host, as always, Justin Jackson, signing out.